0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express. Take your business further with the smart and flexible Amex Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits that help unlock more value from your business purchases. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
1: You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Shortwaivers, Hi. Nathan Rott here. I'm a climate correspondent at NPR, and I'm filling in for the illustrious Regina Barber. Every year, billions of different animals embark on journeys. They fly, crawl, walk, swim, slither, heck, probably even squirm often moving with the season to find better food, more agreeable weather, or places to breed.
2: These are not just any species. These are you know, magnificent species that take unbelievable
3: journeys in some cases. Thousands of miles at times, in flocks and herds and schools, sometimes alone. You know, the stuff of poetry and song and cultural
1: significance. Amy Frankel is the executive secretary of the United Nations Convention on the Conservation of Migratory Species.
2: So, yes, I'm excited about migratory species. And uh, I think most people are, even if they don't realize they're migratory species. Think
1: monarch butterflies, waddling penguins, the wild Pacific salmon that we all love to
2: eat. They need to move to be able to survive. They have different places they have to go to and are not adapted to staying in one place.
1: But their movements don't just benefit them. Butterflies pollinate plants. Penguins move nutrients from ice to sea. Salmon feed really fat bears that we all like to watch on YouTube. Okay, that I really like to watch on YouTube. Anyway, the point is migratory species aren't just cool. They're really important to the world as we all know and generally enjoy it.
2: And yet we had never done this kind of an assessment to understand the status of our species. Yeah, you know, what are the trends? How are they doing? Notice how she
1: said had never done. That's because this week it changed. The Convention on the Conservation of Migratory Species, the convention that Amy heads, published the first ever assessment of the world's migrators, a state of the world's migratory animals. And sadly, it probably won't come as a shock to hear, many of them aren't doing great.
2: 44% of the species listed under our treaty are in decline.
1: One in five of the species they looked at is threatened with extinction. And 97% of the fish species.
2: It's a pretty stark uh, set of statistics that we're seeing.
1: And one that Amy hopes will inspire action, not just from international governments and conventions, but from people like you. So today on the show, we look at some of the threats facing migrating animals and what can be done to help them. I'm Nate Rott. You're listening to Shortwave, the science podcast from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Schizophrenia and Psychosis Action Alliance, shattering barriers to treatment, survival, and recovery. People with schizophrenia can recover and thrive. More at WeCanThrive.org. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how a new study aims to impact an underrepresented community. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon.
1: Can I admit something to you? Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. So,
1: I helped cover COP28, like the big, you know, the climate COP. I was at COP 27 in Sharm el-Sheikh. I'm familiar with the biodiversity COP. I had no idea that there was a convention specifically focused on the conservation of migratory species. So I'm curious, like, how did migratory species get their
2: own treaty? So this goes back to 1972. There was a major meeting in Stockholm. It's the first ever meeting of the UN on the environment. It, the environment was not you know, a big topic at that time. It, the environmental movement in the US was really in its in its youth. And mm-hmm. the government of Sweden was experiencing concerns, including acid rain was a big issue at the time. And the UN agreed to have a major meeting there. So one of the major outcomes of that meeting was a number of treaties were, were called for because the, the focus was what What issues really merit international cooperation when we talk about environment? So one could be air pollution, but another was species. And in this case, the focus was on species that cross national borders.
1: Uh, One country alone can't do it. You need cross-country kind of cooperation.
2: And it also gets to the point that if countries don't have the same level of protection or standards, regulation for that same species then you're going to have a patchwork of different legal obligations across its range, its migratory range. So that makes me wonder, I mean,
1: like, are migratory species more vulnerable in some ways than like their homebody, just I'm going to hang out in the same habitat, same place all the time species?
2: There is a lot of evidence that migratory species are, are likely subject to more threats. And I can give a few examples. So the first issue is, are they equally protective wherever they go? And the answer is no. Because they cross national borders, they will have different levels of protection and enforcement across their range. The second issue is the kinds of obstacles that they'll face as they migrate. And there's many examples of this. We know that uh, whales off the coast of, of both coasts of the. US and, and many countries, uh, they often take long journeys to go from their breeding to their feeding grounds. And on the way, they might encounter ships. There's lots of ship strikes of whales. That's a a major source of mortality. Another source is fishing gear, fixed fishing gear in particular. Uh, The other phenomenon, too, is that some migrations are very predictable. And so, for some bird species, for example, uh, you can predict when they're coming to a certain spot and there'll be bottlenecks. And that means that if there are uh, poachers, let's say, illegal hunting uh, activities, that it's pretty easy to know where to go. So for all of those reasons, migratory species can be more susceptible to to threats than resident species.
1: And I know, like, I I saw that climate change was mentioned as one of the threats, but I would assume, like, spring might come sooner in, like, the high mountain ranges of some places. Does that mess with the migrations of, of some of these species you're describing?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, in fact, we've also just released a report at the Climate Cop in Dubai Uh, So COP28, we had a launch of a report on CMS, uh, migratory species, and climate change. And in fact, the first thing it found was that some of the impacts that we had only predicted some years ago when we last did this kind of report are now with us. There are a number of different kinds of effects that we're seeing from climate change. The first can be sort of called direct effects. So if you imagine wildfires, drought, that's going to affect the habitat of where these species need to live
1: right easy to get your head around exactly but what you were
2: mentioning also is about the timing and this is it's called phenology there's a, a technical term for uh the the timing of migrations and the matching that you need to see of birds let's say when they move or whales they have historical patterns of going to places where they know that there'll be food And they need that food often to keep going. And so there's real issues if they go where they've normally found food and the food is no longer there because it's moved or destroyed or otherwise affected by climate change.
1: Right, And there's a hope that this report, I mean, this report is meant to inform decision makers, right? The parties that are part of this treaty.
2: No, absolutely. So first, the parties to the convention need to look at the findings of this report and look at where... Uh, there might be gaps in implementation where there could be violations. In fact, but I, I really think that this report is going to be instrumental for people around the world, for governments, for conservation uh, groups that are working on these issues, for scientists, and for for private sector, uh, for development banks that want to avoid harm to biodiversity. And so, can you tell me about some of those specific recommendations? For species, we need to urgently take action to protect those species in most danger of extinction, uh, including all all of the fish uh, species listed on CMS. The second is a really important concept, which is called ecological connectivity. For migratory species, they rely on a set of very specific places that they need to live. Ecological connectivity is about ensuring that they can get from place to place, so you need the spaces, and they also need to get there. And there's lots of uh, hazards to that. So there can be roads, there can be rail, there can be fences. As simple as that. Not far from where
1: I am here is where there's that big animal crossing. They're putting in it would be the largest in the U.S. for the mountain lions in Southern California.
2: That's fantastic. I didn't know about that. Another very key finding uh, is to scale up efforts to address pollution, which is another type of threat to migratory species. And pollution can come in many different forms, insecticides, pesticides, but also lead. So lead ammunition is something that is addressed under the treaty and uh, with hopes to find alternatives to reduce uh, the use because uh, lead in in habitats can then be taken up by other species and and, uh, have uh, obviously poisoning effects.
1: So we've talked about some of the solutions, like on a big scale, right? Like governments can better enforce existing laws and protect against protect against illegal harvesting, right, of fish or animals or birds or whatever it might be. I'm curious, though, so like, are there things that individuals can do that can be helpful for trying to address the problems that these migratory species are facing?
2: Yeah. Let's start with uh, an interesting topic of light pollution. We're kind of lighting up the natural world now. And That can be a huge problem for nature, uh, for animals. And so at night, you know, after a certain uh, time, you shut off your lights. Or if you want to be sure you have a light on for security, there are certain light bulbs that are actually less damaging uh, to wildlife. Um, Another issue is, you know, uh, and it's a sensitive one, but uh, this is the issue of domesticated animals and what they can do to wild species.
3: The famous cats versus birds debate. <laughs> you know, cats
2: are predators and yeah, they're very cute. But, you know, when they go outside, they're going to do what they, their natural instinct is. And it's phenomenally bad for birds uh, to have cats uh, outside. Uh, so that's another uh, easy example.
1: What do you want to see happen when people start reading into what you guys found here?
2: Yeah, my hope is that this report will be read by as many people as possible that it gets discussed that its findings get really uh carefully considered and that governments who are working on these issues private sector people who also want to make a contribution everyone you know who who wants to keep seeing the birds flying and the whales uh uh jumping in the water uh, that they look at this report and find something that they can do uh, to uh, help these uh, incredible species continue to survive.
1: Awesome. Well, Amy, thank you so much for sharing all this with us. It's mind-bending. There's a lot in there. So I've enjoyed digging in, and I hope others will too. Yeah, I really appreciate your interest in this. And before we head out, we have a special request from you, our listeners. My colleague Tom Dreisbach is terrified of needles and getting shots. Loki, so am I. And he wants to hear from you. Send us a voice recording with your thoughts on needles and your fears thereof at shortwave at npr.org. This episode was produced by Rachel Carlson and edited by managing producer Rebecca Ramirez. Britt Hansen checked the facts. The audio engineer was Gilly Moon. I'm Nate Rott, and you're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Say hi to the whales on the West Coast for me. Oh, I would love to say hi to the whales on the West Coast. When the migration gets going, it's awesome.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore. A new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics. Built to move in. Styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater. Committed to helping companies, from nonprofits to the Fortune 500, solve food for work. From ordering online for meetings and team lunches, to managing food spend for your whole organization, Easy Cater can help you simplify your corporate catering needs. Over 100,000 restaurants nationwide, plus budgeting tools and payment by invoice. Learn more at easycater.com.